Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 180, The Beginning and the End, an interview with James Scott Bell, coming to you on Thursday, February 13th, 2020. If you've been listening from the beginning, you may remember that James Scott Bell was our guest very early on in Right Now Workshop podcast, um, I think just the first couple of months of the show. And then we were talking about his book, Write Your Novel from the Middle. But he has lots of books for writers out. He's a novelist himself, an award-winning novelist, and he is a very good teacher. Uh, If you have heard the interview that I did with him, and then I played, because it was so good, I played it as one of my two encore episodes during the Christmas break in 2019, just a few weeks ago. Gosh, it's already February. Can you believe it? Oh, Okay, so time flies, and it was only a few weeks ago that I played that episode again because it's so good. Now, because he has so many books out on writing, and he's such a good teacher, I asked him if he would come back on again and talk about a couple of his other books. So today, we are talking about The Last 50 Pages and Plot Man to the Rescue. So you will find a lot of great helpful tips, whether you're a plotter or a pantser, near the beginning, in the middle like feeling like you're advanced, there's still going to be things that you find in this interview that um, you'll be able to apply, which is awesome. I love interviews like that. I love it when, first of all, I can find things to apply in my writing life. And I'm particularly happy when I have guests on the show where I really feel like no matter where you are at, where you are at in your career, I get excited and I start talking faster. (laughs) Uh, You'll be able to find some great, interesting, helpful tips. And as Jim mentioned, um, one of the great things about these two books is that um, you can use them strictly as reference guides. They're not necessarily something that you need to start reading at the beginning and read all the way through the end. It can be a little bit more like um, a dictionary of plot problems. <laughs> and you go find the one that you think you might have and ta-da, there's some things that you can do about this plot problem, that sort of thing. So, uh, I think that you're going to love this interview. I love talking to Jim. And... Um, Also, I will stay in touch with him to find out what other new books that he has. And I try not to bring people on too often so that you get tired of hearing from any one person. But there are a few guests that you've probably already noticed that I really, really think that they're great guests and great helps to you, which means that, yes, they will be on the show (laughs) more times in the future. Now, in addition to some great writing tips today, I also wanted to let you know for the first time in a long time, I can say, hey, I'll be at this writing event. Let me know if you're going to be there. So if any of you listen to, as I often encourage you to, Mark Dawson's self-publishing, it used to be called Self-Publishing Formula Podcast. Now it's Self-Publishing Show, I think, because it's SPS now instead of F. Yes. So if you listen to Mark Dawson's podcast with him and James Blatch, uh, you know that they are doing their first live event the day before London Book Fair starts this year. Yay. Very exciting. So I will be there and at London Book Fair. And I'm finally going to be able to put faces to names that I see in some of the groups that I am part of. Um, A lot of the SPS groups and and other online groups. Um, Very, very, very exciting. Uh, It's one of those things where, you know, you sit around in your room inside your own head and you forget that um, 
these names on social media are real people that <laughs> you have the opportunity to meet in person and give a hug. So if you are one of these real people who are going to be at SPS Live and or London Book Fair, look me up. Um, send me a message on social media. Facebook Messenger is a good place to send it, though I will say when you haven't sent me a message before and then you use Facebook Messenger, a lot of times it ends up in sort of like Messenger's semi-spam filter thing and I don't see it for six months. Um, But anyway, send me a message, send me an email, send me a a tweet. (laughs) Uh, Everything that I am is pretty much Kitty Buchholz, K-I-T-T-Y-B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z. So that's what I'm at on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everything else. I'm trying to use my Instagram account for Right Now Workshop podcast, and I'm trying to uh, spend more time on the Kitty Buchholz author page in the Right Now Workshop podcast page on Facebook. But um, I'm planning a conference. I'm writing a book. There's a lot of things going on and I'm not getting everything done that uh, that I want to be on my to-do list. So anyway, reach out to me and we'll say hi to each other and give each other a hug and a high five. It'll be awesome. So that's uh, London Book Fair and SBF Live. They are March 9th through 12th. Uh, 2020, in case you're listening to this later and it's already over. (laughs) And then also, I am ready to announce my first, I have several confirmed speakers, but this is the first speaker announcement that I'm going to make for our first Right Now Workshop Writers Conference. Again, the conference is October 7th through 11th in 2020. That is this year in Malmö, Sweden, right here where I live, right here where you see my office. That's Malmö, Sweden. And the first speaker that I'm going to announce is, drumroll please, Jennifer Dornbush. Yes, if you know Jennifer, and she has also been on the show once talking about her first novel called The Coroner, and now she has the uh, follow-up novel, the second book in that series called Secret Remains that just came out. Did I interview her about that too? I don't remember. (laughs) I know I talked to her about it. Um, Anyway, she is a novelist and a screenwriter, and she's a forensics expert. So one of the other things that she does is she consults with TV companies and film companies to make sure that the scenes that they have in their TV shows and movies have um, as accurate as possible forensics scenes. So that's very cool. And she's also been doing a ton of teaching and public speaking over the years, but lately a ton of it all over Europe, like all over Europe. If you're part of her newsletter, you already know she seems to be everywhere in 2020. And she was just outside of Stockholm, Sweden. Was it last weekend? Yeah. Yeah. Last weekend. And um, well, I guess it was last week. It wasn't the weekend. And I got to see her and we spent a whole day together walking and talking and eating and talking about the conference. So there are very exciting things coming up having to do with what she's going to be doing. But I will say, yes, it has to do with forensics and writing crime, crime fiction. I don't want you to write about, you can write about true crime. So long as it's not a true crime you committed, (laughs) that would be, I'm not going to teach you how to do crime. I'm going to teach you how to write about crime. (laughs) 
Jennifer's going to teach you. I'm going to stop talking now. So Jennifer is going to be uh, the very first guest that I'm announcing. I'm very excited. We've got more things to tell you about that. I have more guests to announce, and I will do that over the following weeks and months. I am also doing the um, what feels to me slogging hard work of uh, recreating a new homepage for the website that everything's on because I haven't been using it for a while because in the past, oh, I don't know, five or more years, the only thing I've used my website for, notice me not even telling you the website address, but the only thing I've been using the website for is my online classes. And then with moving and everything, I wasn't necessarily um, always opening the classes every year. So I need to put up a new homepage on it so that you can get more information about the conference or the podcast or the classes or one of my friends said, you know, Kitty, people might want to know where they can find your books. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so there'll be a link to my kittybuholtz.com website as well. Anyway, I'm working on that so that I can also have a landing page where you can sign up to get emails with more information about the Writers' Conference. I don't want to use the podcast as a 100% marketing, um, you know, like I don't mind talking about it all the time. I don't want it to be the only thing it feels like to you that I ever talk about. I'm terribly excited, really excited. But uh, I wanted to have a place where I could tell people information as it comes in. So I will do that via an email list. So if you are interested, hang out a little bit longer. Hopefully by next week's episode, I will be able to tell you, yes, go to this URL and you can sign up to get all the emails to find out more about the conference, how much it is, when it is, um, who all the speakers are, what all the classes are going to be. It's going to be very traditional if you are used to going to writers' conferences in the U.S. So the main part of the conference will be two days There'll be keynote speakers at the beginning, lunchtime, and end, and then um, four separate breakout sessions each day. So that's eight altogether. In each one of those eight sessions, you'll have three choices of what class to take. So altogether, there will be 24 classes. That is the current plan, and it's looking like it's going to come together very well. And then there'll also be an optional portion that if you want, you can sign up for uh, Sunday, and that will be more of a uh, spiritual look at our ourselves as writers, creators, um, where our heart is, what we're trying to put out into the world, how we want to change the world with our books, uh, all sorts of things like that, like coming from kind of a faith perspective. And also, you know me, got to have a little bit of brain science in there too, like how to um, help your brain to be more creative. And um, anyway, we'll go into more of that in detail on that Sunday. And then the 7th and 8th, the first two days, is not technically the conference, but it's more like if you're going to come to Sweden to go to a writer's conference, you really need to see Sweden. And Malma is just across the bridge from Copenhagen, Denmark, which is also a brilliant, awesome city. I've been there so many times. I love it. I love both of these cities. I love my new home city as well very much. And I think that there is a lot to see and do in both cities. So I'm going to have an extra optional package that if you want to come early and come on the Wednesday and Thursday, October 7th and 8th, 
then I and some other writers are going to take you around one full day of wandering around Malma, and I'll have organized some tours for you. Um, one of our speakers actually does a walking tour of Copenhagen, and she's absolutely brilliant. She's definitely as entertaining in person as she is on the page, and uh, I will I will tell you more about her later, but just to give you a hint, she is someone who has been on the show. <laughs> um, and uh, basically we'll just take you around and show you everything. And so the the fee for that will be my way of putting all of the fees for train fare and the tours and the different things that we do um, into one price so that you can just pay it. And then basically I'll take care of everything during those two days, except for food and drink. I will, however, be providing fika because fika is very Swedish. It's very important. And I will be providing fika for you. If you don't know what that is, you can Google it and you will be very happy. <laughs> okay, that is it for announcements right now. Let's get on to the interview with Jim. Today's guest is James Scott Bell. James is the winner of an International Thriller Writers Award and the author of a number one bestseller for writers, Plot and Structure from Writers Digest Books. His thrillers include Your Son is Alive, don't Leave Me, and the Mike, sorry, Mike Romeo series, which begins with Romeo's Rules. Jim has taught writing at Pepperdine University and at numerous writers' conferences in the United States, Canada, Great Britain, Australia, and New Zealand. He attended the University of California, Santa Barbara, where he studied writing with Raymond Carver, and graduated with honors from the University of Southern California Law Center. Welcome, Jim. Hi, it's great to be with you, Kitty, as always. Yes, this is so fun. We're like practically a half a world apart, but it's like the we're in the of next technology. room. technology. I love it. Me too. Absolutely. And I love having you on my show because um, you and I have done, um, in the past, it's been a long time, but we uh, have been to the same writers' conferences sometimes. We found ourselves teaching at the same writers' conferences sometimes. And um, honestly, without being a fangirl, you are one of my favorite writing teachers. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I'll take that any day. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. For anybody who's watching on YouTube, I just did want to... Um, show them my favorite writing book and i realized john borrowed it and his office is even more of a disaster than mine i could not find it anywhere but one of my second favorite writing books is uh, also revision and self-editing which you also wrote for writer's digest books absolutely yeah those uh those two books are still in print and and uh, you know it's been i think 16 years for plot and structure no so yeah, it's uh, it was great. That was my first book for them, and uh, still going strong. Yeah, man. Well, you know, and seriously, I'm not trying to like pat you on the back too hard to hurt either one of us, but that is quite an achievement in this world that has so many writing books that some of the ones that you've written are still the ones that people are reading and teaching from and learning from. Well, that's, it's very gratifying. You know, I, I love writing fiction. I mean, that's my first love, but, uh, you know, second is uh, teaching. I love to teach. I, I just love to tell because I was struggling to learn how to write. I was told very early in my career, well, not my career, but my, my studies in college and so forth that, you know, you really can't learn how to be a writer. You kind of have to be born with it. Yeah. That sort of idea. And, 
for a long time, I believed that. And they would especially say, you can't learn anything from writing books. Now, those are a bunch of crap. But I, uh, I, one day I said, you know, I got to figure this out if I can or not. I, I want to write so much. And so when I started to study and figure it out, I got so excited that I wanted to share it with other writers too. So I've also, you know, been teaching right along with my writing. Which is so fun. I mean, I also love them, but like as someone who's, who's been in your classes as well, I would think that it would feel so gratifying to see that, um, that you are good at two of the things that you love to do. Like you won an International Thriller Writers Award, which pretty much is the world that, that your, your little microcosm of the world saying, you're freaking good. And then also, you know, you've got um, a ton of people who will come to a writer's conference when they see your name because you genuinely want to help them and you say things that do help them. And it just makes people love you. <laughs> well, well, that's very satisfying. Thank you, Kitty. But yeah, I do love it. <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's my point is that how great to be good at the things that you love. Cause a lot of us, you know, there's things I love to sing, but really the only place I should sing is in church when everybody else is drowning me out and in the shower when no one else can hear me. There it's not go. that I'm that bad, but seriously, there just you because go. I like it. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that one for sure. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's good. It's good. And also we live in this remarkable age where if some, somebody doesn't want to uh, publish another book on writing for you, you can say, well, I have a lot of ideas and you have created some, uh, some more great writer's books that you've self-published and made available to anyone who could download an ebook or I don't know if any of them are in print. I get all of mine by, by ebook. But when you were first on, we talked about uh, writing from the middle, which is another right. great book of yours. Well, yeah, I, uh, you know, I thought there are, there's room for writing uh, books that are, that are shorter and focused on one specific issue that, yeah. I, that I wanted to be able to do. And I found a number of those. And yeah, I do them in um, both ebook and print because I know a lot of people like to highlight and use sticky notes and so on. Yeah, that's but, me. <laughs> yeah. So I just I just thought there's there's room for that, and because rather than you know trying to to expand a book into a greater length just just for the page count, I just thought these uh, kind of shorter focused books would be um, helpful, and they've proven to be. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's been so the show is in its third year right now, and I think that it has been just about two years maybe even two years this month since you were on talking about writing from the middle. You okay. and I have both been busy doing a lot of things in the last two years. And there's at least two more books that um, we haven't talked about. Actually, other people, I don't know if you know this, several other people who've been on this show have mentioned your book. Um, is it called Superstructure? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. other people have mentioned, oh, I love James Scott Bell's Superstructure. <laughs> well, that's good. That's great. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So part of me was like, well, we won't talk about that one because other people have already talked about it. But today I thought it would be great um, to talk about. So there is a book that was really popular near the beginning of my writing career, like probably five years in. Um, it was called The First Five Pages by Noah. Luke someone. 
book yeah, Lukeman. Lukeman, yeah. yes. Yes. Um, and that was a great book. So when I saw that you had a book called The Last 50 Pages, I was like, oh, I bet I, <laughs> I, bet I can see where this is going. So that yeah. was one of the, we'll talk about that one and Plot Man to the Rescue. But let's start right. with the first 50 pages. Um, if you want, tell us a little bit about like why you decided to write that one. But I did have a specific question about you have, um, you have the question that seems to be uh, the question in the book is what should an ending do? So that's kind of where I wanted to start with the discussion. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. In fact, the, the title really, I kind of riffed off the, the Noah Lukeman book because there are, there are a lot of books and a lot of articles and chapters in writing books about, you know, the opening. And, and of course that's crucial, you know, we're grabbing the reader and how do you, how do you do an opening that is, uh, you know, gripping and interesting and so forth. That's all very important, but there's very little, almost nothing I, I found on, on the ending, which yeah. is equally as crucial um, to the overall, you know, satisfaction with a book. So I thought, you know, let me look, let me look into that and investigate that. Uh, what, what should you do in the last 50 pages? And um, so that's, that's really where I began. And, and I think the overall um, answer, you know, as to what an ending should do <clears throat> is really satisfaction, is that the reader has got to feel like they are, that, that they, you know, they spent this time with a book. We've all had the experience of going to a movie and being let down by the ending. <clears throat> That's a terrible thing. Uh, because, you know, you've gone through all this whole story and you're into it and then all of a sudden, what? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I think the reader has to feel satisfied. Now that doesn't mean that um, it's, it has to be like a quote unquote happy ending. Um, it, it just has to feel like the, the ending was right for that story that it was a little bit surprising perhaps, you know, that you didn't, because if you know how a story is going to end and it does it, that's also a bit of a letdown. Yeah. Um, in, in the book, I, I talk about two types of feeling at the end. I talk about the ah and the uh-oh, you know, and the ah is sort of where you feel like, oh, this great sense of satisfaction for the characters that it turned out just right. Um, one of the, I think the example that I use in the book is Lost Light by Michael Connelly, which has this really wonderful last chapter about him meeting his daughter for the first time. And you just go, ah, that's right. But then there's also the, uh-oh, <laughs> it's like, oh, something bad may happen again. Like Stephen King has a lot of those. The one yeah, I use yeah. is, yeah, Pet Cemetery where, you know, I don't want to ruin the ending for people, but it's, it's got a great uh-oh ending where the guy gets his wish and then uh-oh, it's, it's going to be bad. Yeah. So anyway, the point is, it had, just this overall feeling of satisfaction for the reader, that's really what you're going for. Okay. Now, um, do you think that do you think that it changes at all by genre? And what I mean is like in a romance, you know that boy's going to get girl. Um, mm -hmm. In literary fiction, I feel like I never know how it's going to end. I feel like it's probably going to end as a tragedy, um, but, uh, but it's, it's different. Uh, literary fiction <clears throat> has a, a different feel to it than genre fiction anyway. Um, yeah. 
fantasy, those endings also can be different. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you suppose that, um, like what do you tell people depending on what genre they're writing about this ending part? Yeah, yeah I mean, there are genre, genre conventions, um, especially, uh, you know, romance, the happily ever after and so on. Um, but it, you, you need to be aware of those because if you're going to write in the, in those genres, you need to kind of satisfy them. But <clears throat> there are also, there are different shapes to endings. Um, and sometimes they're applicable to more than one genre. For example, um, the, he, the hero can quote unquote win the hero, let's say in a cop thriller solves the crime. And that, that's, that's a win. That's a, an overall victory. Um, but there can be other in literary fiction, for example, there can be something that's kind of open-ended at the end. And maybe that's, um, you know, something where you say, I don't really know what I'm getting. Uh, I think that can work, but it, you can also, it, you need to have a kind of a, a trajectory, I think, for the ending as an author. You need to say, okay, uh, if you're writing literary fiction, I'm ending it here. It's kind of ambiguous, but I think there's a little trajectory that the reader can grab onto. I think that's more satisfying ultimately. Yeah. But yeah, at least, you know, know the, know the conventions uh, and then work to make whatever ending you choose, you know, the, you know, surprising, satisfying, all those things that uh, I talk about in the book. Yeah. And so um, if you have, um, if, if you have the, the way of writing and thinking that is plotting, and so you know the ending um, that you're writing towards, mm. or if you are writing by the seat of your pants, and so when you get to the ending, you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's the end. Um, what are the ways that you talk to people about this ending? I'm guessing that a lot of it then would be in the revision, but let me let you answer. Yeah, I, that's, of course, the ongoing debate about the best way to, and, and people have, you know, their preferred method. So I know when we talk about plotting and pantsing and outlining and just, you know, going for it, that uh, usually the people have a very specific approach and they feel like they can't do it any other way. And, you know, that's, that's okay. I try to get people to open up a little bit to the other way sometimes and just kind of deal with it. But um, I think it's, it's good to have a, an ending in mind, at least an ending feeling. You know, what kind of feeling are you going to want at the end? Now, maybe you discover that as you write, and that's fine. But I do know that, or I, it's my opinion that sometimes when you do it that way, when you're not aware or, or um, sure of what the ending is going to be, or even have an idea of what the ending is going to be, you can sometimes get to a place where you're backed into a corner. Now, some people like that feeling. Uh, and I know that, for example, Stephen King sort of um, champions that. He, he says, just start writing with a situation that's compelling and eventually you'll find the ending but uh you know i think that if there's any one sort of problem area for some of his books it is the ending um it, you you know he, he has to get to a place where he does something and you think well that's not exactly uh the, the most satisfying way to end this book now that's 
far be it for me to criticize uh, him, but I'm just saying that that's, the, that's kind of the chance that you take. Um, and it might involve in a lot of rewriting and maybe throwing out the whole thing and starting again. But I, I think, for example, in a, since I write thrillers, with thrillers and mysteries, I think there's an advantage to knowing how the crime or the, the act, the thing that the book is about was committed because you're then able to kind of weave in naturally the, the red herrings and the clues and so forth uh, that will make up the bulk of the book. If you don't know that, when you start, if you're writing along and suddenly you throw in this red herring that, uh, that kind of occurs to you, you'll then have to figure out how to justify that with everything else that's going on in the book. And that can be very difficult. Yeah. So anyway, if you, if you just have an idea of where you want to go, it's subject to change without notice. Um, but I think it helps to give you a kind of something to shoot for in your writing. That's my advice anyway. Yeah. And as a reader, I, I don't know your feeling, but as a reader, there are times when I am in those last 50 pages or so, and I'm thinking to myself, and this is terrible because it means that I, I, I'm out of the story now. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if this writer like was pantsing their way through because it just feels like we're wandering around and then we finally yeah. get to the end. And I'm yeah. just like, okay, this could have been tighter and much more satisfying to me as the reader. Right. And sometimes you get the impression that they were rushing at the end because they had to, they had to finish the book. They had to make a deadline or, <clears throat> and, and uh, it just, it does, it feels that way. Yeah. So it's very delicate process uh, to try to bring full satisfaction, but it, it can be done. And when it's done well, we both know that is, there's such a wonderful feeling at the end of a book. And that's what you want. You want that, you want that last chapter to sell your next book. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, um, you put a, a quote in your book from Mickey Spillane about yeah. that. Yeah, he, he, he had that quote. He said, the first chapter sells that book, which, you know, it's kind of true. People browsing, reading, the, the look inside feature at Amazon. Yeah. But then the last chapter is what makes the reader want to go and find another book by that same author. Yeah. That totally happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> both of them, that first and that last. That's exactly what they do for me as a reader. Yeah. Love it. Well, so there's another thing. You, you actually have a whole bunch of chapters. So this particular book, the first 50, or sorry, the last 50 pages um, is all about uh, different things that you need to know about the ending so that you are writing an ending where people want to go and buy your next book. And one of the other things that I thought was really interesting was the idea of a meaning to your ending. You want to talk about that a little? Yeah. Um, all endings have a meaning, have a, uh, a feeling that the, that the author wants to communicate something. Whether that's intentional or not, it doesn't have to be uh, intentional in that if you write a complete story and a great ending, it's going to have the meaning that you sort of intended uh, subconsciously. But I, I think it's a good idea once you know where your book is, is, is headed and ends, if you kind of become intentional about it. Uh, I, I have another book. I'm not here to plug all my books, but you know, <laughs> we talked about write your novel from the middle. And to me, that has um, 
a way of, of finding out what your book is really all about by thinking about the crisis point in the middle of the book. And then the meaning will say, okay, the, that was overcome. That's a meaning, you know, uh, justice overcomes uh, injustice, that sort of thing. So yeah, I think all, all books, any, if you do a, an open-ended like we talked about, uh, what does, you know, what, what did the author mean by that? Well, even that's a meaning. The author is saying, well, you know, life is not all tied up in a neat little package. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So everything can have, um, have, everything will have a meaning, a meaning to the reader. They'll come a, away from the book thinking, oh, this is what the author thinks. And you don't want, you don't want that uh, reader thinking about the author as the book, you know, progresses plot-wise, but at the end, they're thinking, okay, why did the author write this book that way? And that will ultimately be the meaning they take away from it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And also, um, for me, as a writer, I would say that um, if, if the ending didn't come easily, I spend even more time in it. I'm, I might not, you're making me think, like, do I, am I sure I've spent enough time on my endings? But like I know for sure that uh, in my book, Unexpected Superhero, the beginning and ending were the two things that I went over and over and over again, because I wanted to make sure that nobody at the end felt like, well, they never caught the bad guy, so that's not really a satisfying ending. But instead, I focused on the characters being like, well, we won the battle, <laughs> right. and it, we're still in the war. Yeah. Um, so, well, I, I, I spend the most time on my last few pages. That's where I spend the most time revising because I want just the right sound. I, I call it resonance. You know, there's oh. a resonance at, at the end of a, of a great uh, orchestral piece, you know, a symphony. You know, the, the note is left in the air and you're thinking, oh, that's great. That's right. And so I will spend a lot of time on that that feeling at the end of a book, uh, even down to the last few lines. I did, I want it's almost like making it a prose poem in a way. You want the reader to feel the rhythm of these words. And I just, that's how important the ending is to me. And I think when you read a really great ending, that's, that's what you get, this feeling of resonance. So that's really what that is, is all about. Nice. I like it. Yeah. So for anybody who um, either is struggling with their ending or they're not sure, or they just really like this, this idea of Mickey Spillane's quote, you know, that the last few pages will make people buy your next book. Right. Um, so tell us again, it's the last 50 pages. And in general, what you have in it is like, as far it, as like not, not reading, I didn't want to read off the table of contents. So well, I wanted you to be able to kind of, <laughs> Some of the, the things we've been talking about, and also uh, that it's possible uh, to know the shape of the ending. I, I talk about, you know, the, the shit where the, the hero wins, the hero loses, which is like a tragedy. The hero sacrifices, which is a very powerful ending shape, which is the shape of Casablanca. Um, you know, probably the most famous ending of all time really and it's a that's it's a sacrifice ending um then there is the kind of ending where the hero seems to win but really 
loses. The example I use is The Godfather, where Michael Corleone rises to the top of the, you know, the mafia hierarchy. You know, he wins that battle, but he really loses his soul yeah. and, uh, at, at the end. And that, that's another shape. And then we talk, about, uh, talk a little bit about what we've said, the open-ended uh, ending. You know, one, one thing I think we were uh, talking about earlier um, is the author who writes, say, a thriller or a mystery and leaves this cliffhanger at the end of the book to make you buy the second book. In other right. words, there's a plot, a plot, the plot is not fully resolved. And that readers hate. Um, yes. <clears throat> I know I do. I, uh, I do. Yeah, I've seen it done a few times and the readers hate that. Um, I've, in fact, I know of a case uh, where the author turned in a book to a publisher. It's a Christian publisher, I, I believe at the time. And uh, it was a, you know, a fairly substantial novel. And I think it was the publisher that had the idea, well, let's make it two shorter novels and we'll end right in the middle of this one where it's unresolved. <clears throat> and my wife read that book and she's going, what, what, you know, oh. can't take that. So, but what you can do and what series writers do, good ones, is they can have uh, the plot uh, the plot proper of the book, the crime, the mystery, be resolved. But then an issue of identity with the, with the character that can continue. This is what um, Michael Connelly does with the Harry Bosch books, um, what Sue Grafton did with the Kinsey Malone books, is there was an issue of family identity and who am I that, that was able to carry over. And that's fine. That's good. Yeah. But when you when you've got a plot centric book, you've got to resolve it in that book. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you read any of these, but remember when the Castle TV show uh, was on the air and ABC hired ghostwriters to write Richard Castle's books as they were coming out on the show. So I, I read one or two of them, it, it was a little bit hard for me to um, get a hold of them at the time. I don't remember why, but, um, and I, I was just like, this is so great. And it just kind of made me like more into the show. Um, and there were, there were times when I was reading the book that was, um, you know, like so meta of the TV show about a writer, but it made me think about as a writer, you know, every episode of the show, if it had been written, uh, each one as its own individual book, which, you know, it could have been because they're all little mysteries and stuff. Um, almost everything could be a book that has an ending to the plot that's in the book. And yet um, for years of the series, the overarching plot was who killed her mom. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... so do you think that that still works yeah. in books? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. You know, in the Harry Bosch books, his mother was a prostitute who was murdered and the murder was unsolved. Oh. And so he, he deal, deals with that specifically. I, I'm, uh, it's really done well in the TV series Bosch, okay. where, you know, they have, they have 10 episodes per series uh, per, and, and per season. And <clears throat> there's always, you know, the, the main plot, the main murder that, that is finally solved. But there, there are things where Bosch is trying to solve 
the mystery of his mother's murder that carries over from one season to another. So that's perfectly legit. And that, in a series, that could be very satisfying. And um, this might be from your book, uh, Plot and Structure. I'm not sure. But um, at one point I was reading, because I'm a plotter, and I, um, I, I also have a almost as strong a left brain maybe as right brain or whatever but so a lot of times I'm trying to think of like um, if this is the first thing that's in my book then does it need to be the last thing or the second to last thing so for instance um, in Unexpected Superhero which had um, um, well I mean it's superheroes so I'm not sure if that's like thriller elements or not really mystery elements but <laughs> anyway it has action elements I'll say that okay. um, like, so I wanted to um, start with um, her, her actual problem as a superhero and then have the next bit that I um, talked about be this relationship that she had. But then when I ended it, I ended it by closing off the plot, the actual action part. Uh -huh. And then the last scene um, or the last uh, portion of the last scene being the closing off the relationship part. Do yeah. you, do you do your writing at all like that where, where you put the bookends in certain places? Um, <clears throat> I don't usually think of it. Uh, it, it I actually, you know, now that you mention it, um, I read somewhere long ago about how you, you know, you begin plot problems and then resolve them. And that, the first one that comes up is the last one resolved. And then, you know, there's like maybe a subplot problem that arises. Maybe that's the second big thing that happens in the book. And then you resolve that second to last. And it does kind of give a nice sort of symmetrical feel to the whole thing. So yeah, very often I'll do that. And then in the opening chapter, <clears throat> a lot of times uh, I will have, the the character dealing with a you know a personal issue as the trouble starts to unfold and then that personal issue will be the last thing in the book yeah that kind of gives a nice resonant feel that the personal aspect is taken care of at the end yeah so for you a lot of this is probably coming through years and books of practice i yeah probably. i mean it is, it's it that that's that's it you know i've i have been studying the craft intensively since 1988 i mean that's when i that's the year i said i've got to figure this out and nice. you know there i don't think a week has gone by that i haven't done some kind of reading on you know on the craft because i love it and yeah so this stuff becomes ingrained and especially you know you've got to I tell writers, you know, you've got to continue to write new stuff. Uh, don't just take, you know, one book and workshop it for five or six years. You know, learn, learn things and then apply it to your writing or learn things and actually do practice scenes where you're trying this stuff out because you're yeah. ingraining that in your muscle memory, so to speak. But, you know, you gotta, you've got to do both. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, we're, we're actually quite um, organically morphing into the second book that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Let's morph. <laughs> so uh, you also have a book that uh, we haven't talked about on the show called Plot Man to the Rescue. Yes. Yes. Um, 
plot man to the rescue. What I wanted to do with that was uh, address common plot problems that uh, people have. Now, the, the way and the way I came to that is, <clears throat> I you know, th common things that I've had experience with when I'm plotting, and then when I read manuscripts, I've read tons of manuscripts of new writers. Um, what are the common problems that they come up with? And then, <clears throat> I for some reason, I don't know how I came up with the title, but Plot Man, Plot Man to the Rescue. <clears throat> and then it just suggested like a comic book. And yeah. so the cover, the cover of the book is like real comic booky with Plot Man and Subplot Boy flying yeah. through the sky. But uh, I had a lot of fun with it, and uh, it's been helpful to writers. Yeah, you can really tell when you're reading, particularly the the beginning part, um, that uh, that you are having fun with the story, and that you may perhaps be a fan of Superman. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I tell a little plot man origin story. So, yes. But uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun. It was fun. It was fun. Now, would you say that that book would be um, more for like on a scale? We're all sort of on a sliding scale all the time, and probably everything in life, come to think of it. But uh, aside from the philosophical, on the on the writing scale, would you say that Plot Man to the Rescue is probably more towards beginning writers, early writers? Well, let's see. Um, I, I actually think probably. Uh, beginning and intermediate writers, you know, even veteran writers could get something out of it if they hit, you know, a place where That's they're going, nice. what is, what is going on? Yeah. Um, they can, you know, they could turn to the, I, I wanted to be it like a reference book. They could turn to the contents and they could look through the, you know, the various entries and say, oh, okay, that seems to be my problem. Yeah. And then they could go to that chapter. So it's kind of like a field manual. Um, if, a, if, it's, if it's a beginning writer uh, who's, who's learning, <clears throat> they, can, they could probably use it too if they're writing their book and wondering, you know, what do I do next? Uh, that could possibly help them as well. Yeah. So really, it depends on, I just wanted it to be helpful for writers of any type facing right. any kind of challenge. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a good point about it being a good reference book because there's always, there's always a book, um, if you're really lucky, it's a book every every few books, it's not every book, where you're just like, I know there's a problem with this book and I'm not exactly sure what it is, but right. reading through just the table of contents, um, yeah. I was going, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, as I was reading through the chapter titles. Yeah, that's good. That's exactly what uh, I wanted it to be for. And of course, the more experienced writer you are, actually, the more these things will <clears throat> you know, make sense to you. Like this, this homes in really on the problem I know that I'm having. Yeah. 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 And so would you say that, um, okay, so first of all, the table of contents is amazing. Um, I think that everybody should at least go and take a look at the books, uh, both of them, and look through the table of contents of both of them, because honestly, you'll be like, oh yeah, I totally see how this could be a great reference book to add to my to my well for me i have several shelves now not just one <laughs> yeah yeah um, me too but yeah so um so in plot man to the rescue the chapter titles are a lot of potential pro plot problems right. but i was wondering like as a writing teacher and you've been a writing teacher for many years do you feel like there are um a few of them that get encountered 
um, more often or that you see more often? Um, yeah, I think there, there might be a few. Um, I think one of the, one of the most common is, um, when the book feels like it's starting to drag, the book begins with some nice action or whatever it is and, and it goes on and then it starts to feel slow. It starts to feel like it's dragging. And <clears throat> a lot of times that is a structural issue where the writer hasn't uh, forced the hero th what, through what I call the doorway of no return into act two, where the major conflict takes place. And in screenwriting terms, and you know this, um, we, we often think in quarters, like the first quarter of the film is act one, and then there's the, the fully half is act two, and the last quarter is act three. And you, you say like a, at the 25% mark, we should be into act two. And I found that with novels, it really needs to be a little closer to the 20% mark. So this is a very practical way for somebody to look at their book and say, well, uh, I've got so many words here, and I know the book will be so many words long. Why am I not into act two yet? And then, you know, various ways to solve that. So that's, that's one of them. Um, another one is, you know, just a, a plot that isn't that interesting. I mean, it, it, it seems like the, the characters are sort of vanilla characters and the situations are kind of common situations. Uh, so it's just like, why is, why is my plot not that interesting? And maybe they, maybe the writer gets feedback from, you know, friends or beta readers or something saying, well, you know, the story was fine, but you know, it didn't really grab me. So I have like, you know, six different ways that you can try to find a more, you can put more interest into the book. Things like, you know, unpredictable emotions, um, something unpredictable or unique about the setting and um, choosing a better, more interesting vocation or profession for the characters, things like that, just to make it more interesting. That elevates, elevates the book. So yeah, those yeah. are two that I would, I would think of. Yeah. You know, in that last one that you mentioned, um, I have it in my head that I want as much as I can for every book to be better than the last. And yeah. um, I'm lucky right now. I only have a half a dozen books, so I can confidently say the last one was definitely my best. But yes. will I still feel that way at book 20 or 40? I, I can only hope. But I have this idea in my head that if I can constantly be asking myself, how can I make it better? Like, I like what I've got. I'm not unhappy with it. How can I make it better though? So that, you know, I can be up to the standard of winning an international award or, um, or just yeah. people being just doggone happy with it. Yeah. Um, do you feel like some of these things are things that you can use um, to kind of turn the key and, and make things just tighter, better with a book that's already good? Oh, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I like, I like your philosophy there. And, and I think that's good for any writer you know, just concentrate on being a little bit better than your last book. I mean, you should be growing. You should be learning. In fact, I have a lot of friends who are, you know, multi-published writers and best-selling writers. And they all, a common refrain is, 
gosh, this is getting harder to do. And they <laughs> yeah. say, well, but yeah, the, re the reason is that your standards are higher. You know more. You know what you're doing. You know where you can do better. And that's actually a good, good place to be. So, yeah, yeah these, these books, all my books really are trying to be very practical in giving advice where you can take a certain area of, of your fiction writing a place that you know you need help with and you can then practically use these uh techniques to make it better and that's yeah. that's really the goal that's awesome yeah and that's probably the reason why i like your books i mean i think that um i've always felt like the reason why i liked your teaching was because i felt like we were thinking similarly enough that i was kind of always tracking with you and going yes exactly i totally get that and then i could like immediately go and apply it to to what i was working on so um and you you really have put out like i can't think of how many there are but you must have at least a half a dozen um books for writers that are self-published and that doesn't even those are just the the ones having to do with writing stories because then you also have one that has something to do with how to make a living as a writer and right so yeah 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 i think people basically should go and look at your website and or their favorite <laughs> bookstore site and just look and see what you've got because you've got so many good good books that i was thinking in my mind when i was kind of preparing for our interview i was thinking well, you know, a person could start with this one when they're new to writing and they can uh, move into this one and this one and then, you know, work their way through. And then they can circle back when they're like, oh, now I get it. I've, I've written a couple of books and now I can see how I can really improve. And yeah. Well, um, I, I will say this, you know, I, you know, on my website, which is jamesscottbell.com, I have a page for my books for writers. And then uh, I have, I just have a list of them and the kind of exciting thing for me lately is that I've been starting to do these on audio. I, I'm releasing audio versions. Of Are you books. reading them? I, I am doing the, the narration. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I and have to go listen. Do you have samples? Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. On you can always go, go to the page where it says audio and listen to a sample. I'm having a great time doing that. Yeah. So um, it's, it is time intensive because you know you've yeah. got to read the book and you've got to edit it and you know edit your narration and so forth. But yeah, so people have been responding to that to, because you know you, these are books you can listen to you know on the treadmill wherever and you know yeah. be getting practical advice. So yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And I totally can see that stuff just sort of like going into your brain and it's being absorbed and it's doing kind of the simmering on the back burner thing. And then, you know, you're writing and you're like, oh, I have this idea. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. You may not even remember that it's because, you know, you were reading these great tips, you know, or listening to whichever one, these great tips that are just kind <laughs> yeah, of um, There used absorbing. to be a theory that people could like put a recording under their pillow at night and be asleep. <laughs> and it would absorb. <clears throat> I don't know how true that is, but uh, audio is, is good. Yeah, I remember those days. I remember one time I bought something that was like, okay, put this underneath your pillow. I, I don't know. I had a funny pillow and I was like, I can't really hear it. Is it still going to do anything? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh. Now, in Plotman to the Rescue, I just had a couple more questions because you have some appendixes. Um, and one of them is about plot generators. And I was like, okay, you've, you've got me. I don't know. What is a plot generator? Well, a plot generator is simply a way, uh, a method of approach to 
feed elements into your brain to start a connection, uh, a series of connections to create a plot. Um, there is, <clears throat> for example, online, there's um, a friend of mine um, who, who runs a website called uh, DIY, do it your, uh, DIY, do it yourself. Um, um, uh, MFA, that's what it is. And okay. she has a thing called Writer Igniter, Writer Igniter. And if you just search for that, <clears throat> you'll go to that page. And it has four elements, character, setting, situation, so on. And you, you just press it like a slot machine and it shuffles. And it creates four elements that go together. And all, things that you wouldn't have anticipated, you would have thought of yourself, gives you an idea for, oh, okay, maybe I can generate a plot from that. Um, <clears throat> there's also a, a, a set of cards called Storymatic, which is kind of fun. Um, there's a, a whole bunch of cards, two, two decks really, one of situations, one of characters. And you can just draw two of those at random and put them together. And that generates a plot. Another a simple way is the dictionary game. I carry around a little pocket dictionary with me. <clears throat> and wherever, whenever I'm stuck, like in a scene or I'm, maybe I'm outlining a plot, uh, I can take the dictionary out and just open it at random and find a noun. And then that noun is just sort of, it's out, totally out of the blue, but it gets it gets a new connection in my mind, which is really what creativity is about. It's like feeding yeah. your mind with things and enabling, enabling it to generate um, it on its own, <clears throat> like a muscle. And then the final thing I talk about in the book is um, what I call the white hot document, which is where you're just brainstorming yourself as fast as you can go. Uh, Dwight Swain, who was a great writing teacher, he wrote Techniques of the Selling Writer. It's a classic that a lot of writers have. And then David Morell, who was a great thriller you know, writer, grandmaster thriller writer. They both <clears throat> do this. They, they uh, talk to themselves in this document and then you know, go down tangents that, that occur to them. It's all a way of getting your imagination uh, active and generating. And it works even when you're asleep you know, what Stephen King called the boys in the basement. Yeah, so yeah. I, I do have an appendix on that particular topic. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so, um, okay. This is really interesting. I hadn't thought that there was so many different ways to do it. I actually have something called, um, oh, it's on my bookshelf, but I think it might be called the writer's brainstorming toolkit. And it's a book and a deck of cards and Lorraine and Kathleen and I used to go to, you know, like a timeshare and we would write for a week and in the evenings we would just pull out the book and the cards and just randomly create right. ridiculousness. But then yes. the next day our writing somehow, like sometimes the ridicul ridiculousness would turn into something. Yeah, no, it, it's a way of expanding your imagination and it helps, it, it helps that muscle and it does affect your writing in a good way, yeah. Fantastic. Nice. You know, you've totally got me excited about how to, I, I have a, I have a problem, which is probably mental as much as anything else with a, a story that I started writing when I was in grad school. And it's kind of a supernatural suspense, um, angels and demons war with people in the middle. And 
um, of course, set in New York City because where else would angels and demons have perfect. war? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, and uh, and I just couldn't quite like this part wasn't as scary as I wanted, and that part just wasn't as I don't know something I couldn't quite figure out what it was, and this part everybody loved, but I was like, isn't it a little too funny to be in this serious scary book? But now you got me thinking, okay, so, so sometimes maybe if you have an idea and, um, and the idea, I, I think of my idea as being kind of, um, one of those, is it a mace? Not a mace, but like one of those balls that have all the little, um, bits of metal coming off of it. It used to be an old oh, weapon. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 A, a mace or a flail. Fl or something yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just feel like my idea is like that. Like, it's got a little bit of stuff in the middle that everything is connected to, but then there's just all these sharp points coming out, and right. it's not really, and I'm just thinking, you know, if somebody else had that sort of problem, um, issue, challenge that I have, <clears throat> uh, the, this using the plot generators and this random brainstorming and looking for connections between random words, this might be interesting ways to kind of like break up the, the yes. mess. You yeah. Think? Yeah. I, I like that. I like that break yeah. up the mess. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and probably Ray, Ray Bradbury used to say um, he, he would wake up in the more and he was one of the great pantsers, you know, he, he just would wake up in the morning step on a landmine and the explosion was me. And then I would spend the rest of the day, you know, looking for the pieces and so forth. So, you know, he had kind of <laughs> metaphors like that. Nice. And, 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 you know, it makes me think too, just coming back around to this idea of trying to figure out how to make every book better than the last, that could be another way to, um, to look and see, like just sometimes to, to take the time to have this playtime to look and see if there's something else that you could add, change, whatever in your story and your plot and yeah. your characters, whatever, um, so that it was just like one percent richer and one percent richer. There, right. There's a this great book I've been reading called Atomic Habits by I think James Clear just came out, and um, and he talks in the first chapter or two about if we could just be one percent better every day, we would be something like thirty-three times more of whatever we wanted to be by the end of one year. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I talk about the, the success factors of, of fiction when I talk to a writer, you know, plot, structure, characters, scenes, dialogue, voice, and, and meaning. Uh, and those seven factors, that, that covers every aspect of fiction writing. <clears throat> and if you were to just take you know, each take your weakest one for the one you, you need, you, you sense you need the most help in and just up that by, you know, 10% and then do that with everything else. Yeah, there's an exponential raising of your craft. That's fantastic. So it's, I'm, I'm tracking right along with you on that. Oh, this is so exciting. See, I kind of wish that we were in the same time zone because that means it would still be morning for me as well as you. And we uh, could uh. hang up, go, okay, see ya, let's go right. And then I'd be like going crazy. But it's seven o'clock at my, <laughs> my time zone and my brain is going to start turning off in about an hour or less. <laughs> well, I, I hear I'm, I'm just getting started. So I'm going to have my, uh, my second cup of coffee and ready to go. Awesome. Well, you'll have to take all this energy with you. <laughs> okay, I got it.
I got it. <laughs> All right. Beautiful. Beautiful. There, there are lots of more questions that we could um, talk about and go over because your books have um, have lots of ideas and ideas for creating more ideas, which is fantastic. I love it. Um, but let's just go back to one more time. Where can listeners find you and your books? And please tell us again, which book is the one that won the International Thriller Writers Award? Because that's always exciting to read award-winning books. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Well, um, the book that won is called Romeo's Way. And it's the second book in my Mike Romeo series that you mentioned earlier. So I'm really enjoying writing a, a series character. Um, Vigilante justice takes place in Los Angeles. And um, so nice. I, I, I love doing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I have a website, jamesscottbell.com. You can find all of my books there, uh, all of my teaching and, and um, whatever, whatever else uh, strikes your fancy there. I would like to mention something else that I'm doing that's exciting. And it's, it's on Patreon. Ah. And um, I'm not sure that everybody knows what Patreon is, but it's a great site just, yeah. for, for uh, people to kind of support artists and, um, and, and writers and podcasters and whoever else is doing uh, their thing. And I'm, I'm using it for short stories. And there's a way that, I'm writing these short stories, these crime twisty turning stories and giving them exclusively to the people who subscribe on Patreon. And so they can go to patreon.com and search for James Scott Bell and they'll find my page. And I'm having a lot of fun with that and a lot of great uh, feedback from readers. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. And now I have I have been reading you for a really long time, um, so I've read at least three or four different genres that you've written in. Um, are the short stories across different genres, or are they mostly in the thriller mystery area? Yeah, they're mostly thriller mystery, but I'm also making available flash fiction, which is you know under a thousand words, which is fun. And I'm doing uh, some more experimental things, and I'm doing some some uh, sci-fi speculative fiction there. Just to kind of, you know, stretch, stretch my writing muscles and having fun with it. But my specialty is always in the thriller and crime uh, genre. Nice. Wow. Well done. Very exciting. I'm going to go look at, look at it myself. I think Patreon is a wonderful place to, um, to not only support the people that you are interested in, but I think it just gives, uh, gives creators freedom to create things that probably readers and listeners would be interested in if there was, you know, time and enough yeah. money to, you know, pay for your lunch for the day that it took you to do it or, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. Jim, mm -hmm. thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show again. I always love having you on. Well, fantastic. I always enjoy chatting with you, Kitty. Thank you. <laughs> Well, listen, um, we'll talk again the next time that you uh, have a writing book out. Let's do that. And um, happy writing to you today. Well, thank you. And let me, let me leave you and your listeners with, with something. You know, the, uh, <clears throat> the Romans used to have a Latin phrase, you know, carpe diem, you know, seize the day. Well, I have my own Latin phrase for writers. Carpe typum, seize the keyboard. So I'll leave you with that. <laughs> <laughs>